0: to Judges uh, chapter 2. Let me me start in prayer. Father in heaven, we praise you that you love us and you seek the best for us. We praise you for your kindness in speaking to us uh, clearly. We praise you for your kindness in speaking to us in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we behold him this morning. We pray that we would see more of his glory. We pray you would transform us into His likeness. Please give us attentive ears. Please help me to speak clearly and faithfully. And we ask these things for His glory. Amen. Amen. So, Judges chapter two, verse six. We'll uh, read that very shortly. But I want to start by uh, asking us why there's so few of us here this morning. So why are so few of us here this morning? I don't mean um, as a church, actually I'm quite encouraged, end of the summer people are starting to come back, that's great. But as you came here this morning, the church, the, the roads, sorry, were probably pretty empty. It's the quietest time, isn't it, of the week, because nobody else cares about Sunday morning. Uh, why is it uh, that in England there are, uh, there's, a, there's a parish church, so there's one church for every inch of the entire country, and yet so many of these churches are empty? Why is that the case? Uh, wouldn't you love children uh, if more people your age were at church? Wouldn't you love it if more of your friends from your clubs, more of your friends from your school, more of your friends from your streets actually came along to church as well? Wouldn't you love it if you're in the majority rather than the minority? Why is it over the past two decades, um, each year ten percent less of the sorry each decade ten percent less of the population has aligned themselves uh, with Christianity? Why can we no longer appeal to God as a reason for an argument, the basis of a serious argument or rationale? We just can't do that anymore in our country. It wasn't always the way, was it? Now, there'll be loads of answers to these questions and complex answers. But the reason I want us to ask these questions, because They would have been the sort of questions uh, that the country we're reading about this morning could have been asking themselves. Of course, we're looking at God's people uh, in the Bible. We're looking at them quite early on in the Bible, quite near the beginning of the story. Uh, So far, God has just treated his people well. He's delivered them from slavery. They are refugees. They're homeless. And he's given them a land, a wonderful land, not a second rate land, a wonderful land for them to enjoy. But they leave him, they abandon him, and things go downhill. And so the question is, what went wrong? What went wrong? That's what the question was before them, what went wrong? And it's a very useful question for them to ask, because we can start to use their answers to ask ourselves, what is going wrong with us too? So let me read Judges chapter 2, verse 6. I'll be reading all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. 2, verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of, of uh, Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who are around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned... And as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges. Who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges. For they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked. Who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord. And they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them. The Lord was with, that ju- with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said... Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Joshua. Now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them, that is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. It was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war, to teach war to those who had not known it before. These are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and of the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon, from Mount Hermon as far as Libo Hamath. They were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Well, There's a lot in that reading. Um, But if you've not picked up much, maybe you did pick up this much. It is a pretty sorry tale what happens uh, to God's people. It starts with Israel receiving the land from the Lord, receiving his generosity, receiving his goodness. But it ends with their being oppressed by the surrounding nations, them abandoning the Lord and them being under the Lord's wrath. So what goes wrong? What goes wrong? Well, a summary of what goes wrong this morning is this. The next generation became like the world. The next generation became like those who surrounded them. And I just want to uh, break that down a little bit. Firstly, we see that there is a failure to hand on the gospel from one generation to the next generation. There's a failure to hand on the gospel. See, the story does start very well, doesn't it? The people received the land that they were promised uh, back in verse 6. That was our first verse that we had read. And then more significantly, they served the Lord uh, under Joshua and under uh, his co-leaders with him who outlived him. Yet in verse 10, tragedy strikes. And it really is a tragedy. It's not a small thing. Verse 10. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Or the work that he had done for Israel. It's, just, it's hard to get our head around just how big a tragedy uh, this is. It was a huge failure on the part of Israel. Not just the generation who forgot the Lord. But on the generation before them who failed to hand on all they knew about the Lord. Uh, you see in the Bible a big theme uh, from start to finish is God's mission. Uh, to make the whole world know about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been praying today, haven't we, for the Sant family, who are part of that mission in Papua New Guinea, having them learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been praying for church plants that more people in our own country would learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. But perhaps the first and most important part of that mission is not out there, but it's handing on the gospel within the church from one generation to the next generation. Again, it's implied in verse 12. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. A worship of God is meant to go from one generation to the next. And it's what God who commanded Israel before they went in the land. It was one of the first commandments he gave them back in Deuteronomy. As they're about to enter the land, this is what he commands them. Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach God's word diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you arise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, Moses goes on. Take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And again, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord, our God, has commanded for you? Then you shall say to your son, and he goes on say, you should explain what these things mean. You should explain what the Lord has done. You should explain what we are to remember uh, in the gospel. See, again and again in the scriptures, such a big responsibility is placed on one generation to hand on the gospel to the next generation. Parents hand on the gospel to their children. In particular, fathers to hand on the gospel to their children. But that didn't happen. Verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. The children did not know the Lord or the work he had done. They did not know the Lord or the work he had done. Starting on that, the the work he had done. They didn't know their history. They didn't know what God had done in the past. They didn't know... Uh, facts, information about the Lord. But it wasn't just they didn't know about the Lord. They didn't know him personally in, rela- in relationship. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't know him personally. He wasn't functionally present as part of their life. And so there was a failure to hand on the gospel from one generation to the next. Now, handing on the gospel from one generation to the next is the most important thing uh, we can do as believers if we have children But if you ask uh, any parent, uh, it is probably the thing they are either happiest about, that their children are following the Lord. They're most worried about that their children might not follow the Lord. Or saddest about that at the moment their children don't follow the Lord. And that's logical, isn't it? Parents want the best for those who they love the most. And we've got to be careful. Ultimately, the Lord knows those who are his. He has chosen them. Uh, but it's pretty unlikely, isn't it, if a child isn't taught or modelled the Christian life, if they're not taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's pretty unlikely they'll follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not the same thing as saying that if a child isn't a Christian, it's the fault of the parents. As frustrating as it will often be, uh, ultimately, uh, no, uh, no parent can make their child a believer. It's the work of the Spirit, So it means that we've got to get on our knees and pray like mad for the next generation. Not just parents for their own children, but for all of us, for the next generation in our church family. But swinging the uh, pendulum back again, uh, why are most churches filled with old people? Uh, It's not true in our church, mostly for sociological reasons. It's not true in our church. But why why is that the case that in the UK most churches are full of older people again there'll be many many reasons but surely one of the reasons is that we've just assumed the gospel so much and we're not passing on from one generation to the next now if you're not a parent and I guess most of us won't be parents here um, it's still one for the bank because uh, most of us probably will be parents at some point in our lives but even if you're not to the future, why not get involved now in that work of passing on the gospel from one generation to the next? As we in this room are hearing God's word, there are others next door being taught God's word, others at uh, children's Sunday school being taught God's word. Why not get involved uh, in that work? But if you are a parent, uh, what better example to set your child by making changes today in response to hearing the word of God? Start or get back again into the habit of teaching your children about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can say to them, do you know what, I was reminded today that I need to be teaching you about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've forgotten, but the Lord has spoken to me. And we need to get back on track again. And why not start not just teaching them about uh, the Lord? Uh, Why not start uh, living out what it means to know the Lord publicly uh, before them? Uh, tell them and show them that you know the Lord as your saviour, as your comforter, as your, as your uh, encourager, as your helper. I say this, I've got personally an awful long way to go on this. I would love to hear if you're a parent or uh, maybe your children have left home and you've got more experience. I'd love to hear what you've done that's worked and, and it's n- that's not worked. Let's chat afterwards a- after tea and coffee. Maybe if you think you might be a parent one day, maybe ask a Christian parent, what do you do? But maybe as, as a start, maybe you're a parent, you say, actually, I don't do this at all. I'm really not teaching my children by the Lord. Why not start with this? Every breakfast, you've got to have breakfast. You've got to gather at some point. Every breakfast, just get out your Bible. Just read a couple of verses. Just pray together as a family, just a couple of sentences in prayer. And maybe sing a song. Sing a song that your children have learned. Uh, what a great way uh, to start the day, to ha- start to hand on your gospel to the next generation. So judges, we see there was a failure to hand on the gospel from one generation to the next. But that wasn't the only failure. The second failure uh, that we'll see now is there was a failure for Israel to differentiate themselves. A failure to differentiate themselves. And I think actually the the two failures are linked. Because if the good news about the Lord Lord wasn't being uh, shared with those in the days of the judges, if they didn't learn about God from their parents, then who were they going to learn? about God from or by those around them in this case by the Canaanites and what we see from chapter 2 verse 11 really to the rest of the reading is the pattern of what we see in the rest of the book. It's almost like a table of contents showing us what is going to happen and as we go through judges we're going to see failure after failure after failure we're also going to see God's mercy after God's mercy after God's mercy. but uh, the focus often when it's on God's people is on their failure and there's a simple pattern. And it goes like this. Israel does evil. They abandon the Lord. Israel's evil, followed by the Lord's anger. Uh, God gives Israel over uh, to a nation uh, in servitude. And then we get the Lord's rescue. God raises up a judge and brings Israel back to the Lord. And that's the pattern we see again and again and again. So we see evil, anger, rescue. Evil, anger, rescue. Evil, anger, rescue rescue you get the idea and i want to consider all of them in turn. So, start um with the evil of the people of israel now children if i said to you um think what what do you think evil is or what is an evil thing that someone could do i wonder what would come to mind Adults, similar question if i said think of an evil person i'm not so much interested in who that evil person would be but why does that person come to mind what is the evil that they have done? I suspect the thing that we think of as evil, the evil act, whatever is in our minds, I reckon we could probably get consensus on that with a newspaper. If we saw, you know, evil act done and whatever, we'd probably say, yeah, I reckon that's evil. But I don't think we would get any consensus with, for example, uh, the BBC. Uh, if we said... Um, Yet, this evil thing was done. And what was that evil thing done? Well, the person walked away from Christianity. Can you ever imagine that on the BBC News? Man does evil by walking away from Christianity. It would be the opposite, wouldn't it? It would be like, man finds enlightenment as he walks away from Christianity. Man finds his true self. There would be a round of applause in the background. But that's not how it's described here, is it, Leaving the Lord. Look at verse 11. The, uh, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And later on, this behaviour is described in different languages, but it's just as shocking. Look at verse 17. It's talking about the Israelites. They hoard after other gods and bowed down to them. They were like prostitutes. Now, why the harsh language? Oh, come on, we're enlightened. Why do you have to speak about it so badly? It's because it reflects the horror of what it is to walk away from the Lord and to worship other gods. they would rejected the God who had given them everything. I've seen it was no longer convenient to them. Now, when someone uh, leaves the faith, we'll all have friends or family who have left the faith. We should have compassion on them because that's exactly what we see the Lord doing. He has compassion, r- remarkable compassion and pity on those who walk away from him. But we should also be clear on what is going on in that process. It is evil walking away from God, their true husband, and whoring after other gods. So our response should not be sympathy. Now hear me clearly, I'm saying we should be compassionate, but it shouldn't be sympathetic. It shouldn't be sympathetic. We should be calling people to repentance, calling people back to the Lord. That's a very, very difficult thing to do, but we need to see scriptures uh scripture's perspective on what it is to walk away from the lord and when we ourselves are tempted to walk away from christ which will be all be tempted to uh we hear satan whispering in our ear come on it'd be much easier if you weren't a christian we need to realize what we're considering it's not enlightenment it's not deconstruction we're considering evil now the israelites behavior here it just looks so stupid as we go through the book you think oh, why did you do that you're so stupid why didn't you just stick with god he would have looked looked after you and i think it's so easy to read in fact the entire old testament like that we think i would have done differently and of course we wouldn't have done differently what we're shown shown in the old testament is exactly what we are like uh, but from the grace of god but it's worth the question why do they walk away i've been thinking about that question And I read in in my studies this week uh, a really helpful perspective on on the thought of what might be going through someone who walks away from Israel at this time. Listen to what um, this guy writes. He says, the worship of Baal seemed to work for the Canaanites. That's their neighbors. They had lived in the land a long time and knew its ways. They knew how to raise the kinds of crops that fed their families and made them prosperous. And they attributed their success to the worship of their gods. In contrast, the newly arrived Israelites had no experience of such things. Their ancestors had been slaves in Egypt, where they depended on Pharaoh to feed them. In the wilderness, they'd been fed by manna from God. But now that they're in Canaan, the manna had stopped falling from heaven. They had to farm the soil and feed themselves as their neighbours did, but they didn't know how to. What could make more sense in these circumstances than to learn from the native inhabitants of the land? And what harm could there be in enriching their worship by incorporating some elements of the local culture? It's not hard, is it, to translate that thinking into our thinking as we try and navigate life in 21st century Leeds. So tempting, isn't it, to just say, well, why, shouldn't I, why not be like the world around us? Life will be better than, life will be easier then." But we're told here that that is evil. To walk away from the world, to for the Lord to be like the world, is evil. So we have the evil. That's the first cycle. Then we get God's anger. So look at verse 14 with me. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. Now, God's anger is a just anger, and it's a righteous anger. It's not sort of what I might be with my children, but if I'm grumpy or short tempered or irritable, it's not that at all. But it's a right anger. Now, if a faithful, a genuinely faithful husband uh, found out that his wife had been unfaithful to him, she'd be having an affair and he just shrugged his shoulders. Hey, I guess you win some, you lose some. What would you conclude? You conclude that surely he didn't love his wife. Even if he'd been faithful, he didn't love her at all. And that is not what God does when his people walk away. He doesn't shrug his shoulders. He doesn't say never mind. Because he absolutely loves his people. His people are his wife. He is devoted to them uh, by his blood. And so when his people drift away, he gets very jealous. He gets very jealous in a right jealousy, the right jealousy that a husband has should have for his own wife. It's all part of his goodness. His anger is part of his goodness. He will not share us with another because he treasures us so much. And so in the book of Judges, he he raises up the nations to come and discipline, as you were, Israel and to show them what it is like to not have him as their king, to not have him as their husband. So we have uh, the people's evil. Then we have the Lord's anger. But then we have the Lord's rescue. And again, look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now, these judges, the name is quite confusing. We have a quite a strong pitch in our mind of what a judge is. It only involves a wig in court, but that's not what judge means in the scriptures. It, you could translate it as sort of leader. Um, really, it's someone who is a sort of a, a political, in particular, military leader, not always military, but a leader of the people and in some sense a spiritual leader as well. And the Lord raises up uh, these judges and they rescue Israel from their political and military trouble. And temporarily they're led back to the Lord. But in due time, the judge died and the people would go back to their own ways again. The change was only superficial and the cycle is repeated again back to evil. So again, look at verse 19. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods serving them and bowing down to them. And they did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the cycle is repeated again and again. Evil, anger, rescue. More evil, anger, rescue. More evil, anger, rescue. In fact, less of a cycle, uh, more of a downward spiral. Uh, Next time you're sort of washing your hands or uh, uh, letting out the bath, just watch, children, how the water goes down. It goes round and round and round, but down and down and down into the gutter. And it's a picture of what we are like, left to our own devices. Our behavior will not get better and better and better. It'll get worse and worse and worse, down and down and down, into the gutter. And that's what we're going to see as we go through Judges. Things don't get better, uh, they get worse. And that's what Israel was like. Second failure, they failed to differentiate themselves from the nations. And the situation is summed up. Look at uh, the end of our reading, chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. We get a summary of what happened. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And their daughters, they took to themselves for wives and their own daughters, they gave to their sons and they served their gods. Again, three things in those uh, verses summarizing the situation They lived among the nations. Now, the problem wasn't so much uh, geography. The Lord had left left other nations in the land for them to conquer, to learn that they needed to get rid of evil. Now, they weren't to be like them. The, The problem is not geography. The problem is that they became like those around them. They lived among the nations. They were comfortable around the nations. Now, as Christians... Uh, we are not to be comfortable. We are not to live like those around us. So Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world. Do not become like the world. Now that is a challenge. Because If you're anything like me, you just love to establish similarities with any person you meet. Whenever I'm in a conversation, I'm always sort of subconsciously just trying to establish a way in which I can say, oh, we're the same, me and you. Isn't that, isn't that great? We're the same. That's all my instinct. Me too, I want to say. And there's a sense in which that's right, uh, when we want to share if I think even the Apostle Paul was willing to do that. He said, look, I became all things to all people uh, that I might win some. He was keen to find points of similarity. And yet at the same time, that can be misunderstood or pushed too far. See, because when it comes to the most important things about who we are, we're actually completely different to the world around us. We don't belong in this world. We shouldn't feel entirely comfortable at home. When we turn on TV, when you're sort of browsing Netflix, browsing BBC iPlayer, you shouldn't be thinking, oh yeah, these are things for me. Obviously there's going to be some things you can watch and that's fine, but we belong in a different world. There'll be some stuff that is just not for us. We shouldn't unquestionably... Just be wearing what everyone else is wearing. Again, there'll be loads of stuff in common. But we shouldn't be just like the nations. We shouldn't just be spent having the same financial patterns as everybody else. We should have different priorities, which should be reflected in the way that we earn money, in the way in which we spend money. We shouldn't just indiscriminately be listening to exactly the same songs As what the world listens to. Again, there'll be many similarities, but there'll be differences as well because we should be different to the nations. So they lived among the nations. I guess we attempt to live among the nations. They married unbelievers. This is a massive one. Now, minority cultures uh, across time have always found it hard to marry off their children and retain their cultural distinctives. And the same is true for evangelical Christians in the UK today. It is a small pool to fish from. And that's a challenge because marriage is important and marriage is very often desired. But the solution to that problem can never be, oh, look, don't worry about it, just marry a nice, sympathetic unbeliever. To marry someone is to bind yourself to someone who worships Uh, another God unless they're a believer and in the end staying faithful to the Lord is even more important than marriage it's very very hard to remain a Christian uh, if you're married to someone who isn't a Christian singleness is a better option than marrying an unbeliever and that is a really hard thing to hear if you're single and you want to be married but it is from the Lord it is from the Lord And so as a church, we should actually be helping uh, those who are single in our church in a mature and a sensitive but in deliberate way. We should be helping them to get married to believers because it's not an easy thing. But it is a serious matter uh, not to marry unbelievers. So Israel, they lived among the nations, they married unbelievers and they served the nation's gods. The nation's gods at the time uh, of the judges were obvious. It was the Baal and the Ashtoreths. Um, I mean, in one sense, those names cover a multitude of gods, but they had temples. You, you could see who their gods were. But who are the gods of the nations today? It's, it's hard to say, is You say, well, who do people actually worship? I guess some people worship Allah, but still only a small percentage. Who do we worship today? Who, who does our world around us worship today? Well, I guess most would either subconsciously or consciously be worshipping the god of self self-reliance, self-dependence, self-improvement, the God of pride, the God of individualism, the God of self-fulfillment, the God of self-identity. We give everything to that worldview. That is the temptation. That is what our flesh wants to do. That is what the world around us is doing. And we've got to be asking ourselves, where are we tempted to do the same or where are we doing the same alongside our worship? of the Lord Jesus Christ, where our desires, our hopes, our securities, our identities be transferred from the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to ourself, the worship of ourself, the worship of our freedom. Well, I've really uh, run out of time, but we must finish on a note of hope. It's a sorry tale, but remarkably, this is the sort of people who the Lord Jesus Christ has come to rescue. If you identify yourself in this story, if you have felt some of the challenges this morning, uh, particularly from your own life, well, be encouraged because you are the sort of person who the Lord Jesus Christ has come to rescue. You are the sort of person who the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for. You see, in the end, the book of Judges isn't primarily about how awful the Israelites were, it's not primarily about how awful you and I are, although we do see ourselves in the mirror, we, d- we do see how, how weak can actually how evil we are by nature. The book of Judges primarily is about the goodness of God. The book of Judges is primarily about the mercy of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Judges testifies about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the book of amazing grace. God's amazing love to evil and unfavourable people. It's a story about how God perseveres in love and grace and patience to those who have made a mess of passing on the gospel to the next generation. It's about how God is merciful and patient and loving and kind to those of us who keep seeing ourselves going in the ways of the world, going after the gods of this world. It's a story about how God, the God of the Bible has mercy and pity and compassion on those who drifted far away. One of the amazing things we're not really picked up on, but it's how the Lord sees the groaning of the people and he rescues them. He doesn't even hear their repentance. It's not like they say, Lord, we'll start again. Can we make a new deal? He just sees them in a misery and he has compassion on them. He is the first mover. And that's the gospel. And the book of Judges doesn't end in the book of Judges. The story doesn't end there. God perseveres with his people. He raises up Judge again, again, again at his own initiative. But at the end of the story, when things have gone completely wrong, there's a hint that God is going to raise up a king a king to have mercy, a king to lead his people out of the mess. They have made of things and that's what god does in one samuel in two samuel he raises up a king king david who leads the people and makes uh, calls the nation uh, back to the lord and praise be to the god of the book of judges because the god of the book of judges is my god and he's your god and he hasn't changed he's the god who doesn't keep a record of sins He's the God who forgives of our sins. He's the God who restores us to Himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see this pattern of sin, as we feel helpless, as we make the same mess of life again and again and again, we're reminded, aren't we, how the Lord Jesus Christ is merciful, again and again and again, because the God of the book of Judges is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my God and he's your God. And I think a wonderful way to finish as we see our um, inability to follow the Lord, as we see our bent on walking away from him, hear the words of the apostle Paul as he recounted his constant failings as a Christian. He finished on these words. He said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says this, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's close with those wonderful words ringing in our ears. Father in heaven, we confess to you that we are just like the people of the book of Judges. Uh, We confess to you that we are not diligent in passing on the gospel to the next generation whether that's our own children whether that's those younger than us in church whether that's the children in this church we're so slow to do that have mercy us. have mercy uh, on us have mercy on the next generation of our church have mercy on the next generation of believers in our country please call them back to yourself now, father forgive us for our wilderness forgive us we are so quick to follow the ways of the world and so slow to follow your ways have mercy on us we pray show us where we're doing that draw us back to the Lord Jesus Christ and father we pray that we would delight in your perseverance with messes like us we praise you that even in our evil you have compassion and you have mercy and we pray that we'd not forget that We ask these things for our good and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.